This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. In this exclusive series, entrepreneur and creative leader Andy Norman takes us through his views on creativity, curiosity, and guts. To find out more about Andy, listen to the Q&A listed in the show notes. To find out more about Label Sessions, visit labelsessions.com. Let's start this one with a word of warning. This episode is about risk. Enter it at your, well, at your own risk, I I guess. Let's begin it by setting the pertinent example machine way back to when I was in college, where I learned one of my most favorite business stories of all time. It goes like this. There was once this graduate level course in philosophy and its prof was somewhat unconventional. For example, There were no books. Students were expected to do their own reading and research. Classes consisted of an hour-long rant by the prof with no room for questions or any other interaction. Attendance was voluntary. And the student's ultimate grade was based on a three-hour, one-question final exam essay that was worth a whopping 100% of the grade. The day of the final exam was one of extreme stress, to say the least. Upon revelation, the much-dreaded exam question was a mere three words. It read, what is risk? As if set off by a starter's pistol, the students began writing at breakneck speed, tossing out analogies mixed with recollections of musings by Kant, Descartes, Plato, Sartre, Hobbes, and de Beauvoir. After only 60 seconds, you could smell the perspiration. Yet, the one-minute mark also saw one student stand up confidently. She walked through the jammed exam room with purpose, plopped her paper down on the prof's desk, and jauntily made her way out into the freedom of downtown. Her answer to the query, what is risk? Also, a mere three words, this is risk. Whether this is stone-cold true or merely urban legend remains to be determined, but it was good enough to circulate through the halls of Vanier College back in the late 70s and memorable enough to stick with me to this day. As was the corollary, by the way, whether the professor graded her one of only two possible grades, namely zero or 100. Either way, it said a lot about the inevitability of risk. I use the term inevitability because I believe that risk is not something to be managed. Although I'm sure many academics much smarter than yours truly, especially those who teach risk management, would put up a strong argument. To me, risk is ever-changing, uncontrollable, and unavoidable. Even by doing nothing, the most risk-averse people are taking a risk, and perhaps a greater one than their free-swinging brethren and sistren. One of the seminal moments that drove me to fixate on this topic was the way the first MBA cohort I taught at McGill University dealt with risk. They played everything so effing safe. They embodied what Nobel Prize winning psychologist Daniel Kahneman has said about risk. For most people, the fear of losing $100 is more intense than the hope of gaining $150. Amos Tversky and I concluded from many such observations that losses loom larger than gains and that people are loss averse. Here's another academic to explain this a little further. 
In her Harvard Business Review article, The Hidden Danger of Being Risk Averse, social psychologist Dr. Heidi Grant says, It's worth noting that Kahneman himself refers to most people, not all people, when describing the prevalence of loss aversion. According to 20 years of research conducted by Columbia University's Tori Higgins, it might be more accurate to say that some of us are particularly risk-averse, not because we are neurotic, paranoid, or even lacking in self-confidence, but because we tend to see our goals as opportunities to maintain the status quo. Keep going, Dr. Grant! Don't stop there! Higgins calls this a prevention focus. Prevention-focused people are more likely to behave ethically and honestly because they fear that rule-breaking will land them in hot water. In other words, prevention-focused people generally prefer the conservative option when everything is going according to plan, but they will embrace risk when it's their only shot at returning to the status quo. Holy jeez. The status quo. Is that the optimal destination? Avoiding hot water. Is that the optimal outcome? Embracing risk only as a last resort? Is that the optimal timing? Not if you were listening last episode, it isn't. Not if you're still here listening to this one, it isn't. Risk is not a game, although I'm sure those who work at Hasbro would put up a strong argument. Risk is a fact of life. But those who know how to play risk rather than have risk play them will have a much greater relationship with it. So, let's roll the dice. We'll start with some definitions of risk. Google says risk is a situation involving exposure to danger. Wikipedia says, in simple terms, risk is the possibility of something bad happening. Over the chat GPT, risk refers to the probability of experiencing harm, damage, or loss. Well, to quote Heath Ledger as the Joker in the Batman movie, why so serious? To quote me, why so negative? Houston, we have a problem and a major one. Every official definition of risk seems to focus on the dark side. So let's attack this another way. From the bright side, let's say, in business and in life itself, I suppose, why do we take risks? Any, any risk at all? I could almost hear you screaming through the stratosphere. Of course, nobody takes a risk to fall on their ass. Of course, there's no guarantee of reward, but even if your end goal in taking a risk is to minimize damage, that is maximizing reward in that situation. So let's get philosophical for a moment. It's been said that art begins with the deviation from a straight line. Art begins with a deviation from a straight line. For our more commercial purposes, we can paraphrase that to say, all business activity begins with a deviation from the status quo. All business activity begins with a deviation from the status quo. But as straight lines go, the one that is status quo is like a bridge girder. Therefore, not the easiest straight line to deviate from. For most people, even if they do deviate, they do so cautiously for the fear of making a mistake. And that's the first mistake. Prolific marketing author and speaker Seth Godin says, That's the reason it's so hard to be creative at work. The expectation is to be creative, and to be right, to be creative, and not to screw up. But that's counterintuitive. 
John Cleese, who through Monty Python and his business psychology books, is somewhat an expert on the subject of creativity, and he says, When you're being creative, there's no such thing as a mistake. In the end, when you boil down being afraid of making a mistake, when you boil it down, you're left with just being afraid, being scared. And you know what? So what? There's nothing wrong with being scared. It's a natural entrepreneurial state. I'm scared every time I walk into class or onto a stage or into a big meeting or into a recording session of this very podcast. Yeah, perhaps I've learned to hide it well, but every true entrepreneur jumps off the cliff with butterflies or tapeworms or worse in their gut. Being scared means that you're alive. It means that your heart is pumping fast, that adrenaline is flowing, that your eyes are wide and your breathing is rapid. It means you believe in what you're doing, but know that your project, whatever it may be, that your project is up against the fickle whims of the public who ultimately decide whether it lives or dies. It means that you've done all your homework, all your grunt work, but know it's all moot if just one of the millions of uncontrollable variables out there plays against your grade. Over the years, I learned that I'd much rather be scared than bored. Or as I often put it, a sheer heart attack is more fun than a stifled yawn. Marketing authors Chip and Dan Heath agree. P.S. These guys are what Seth Godin would be if he was two people. In their book, The Power of Moments, the Heaths say, Beware the soul-sucking force of reasonableness. We feel most comfortable when things are certain, but we feel most alive when they're not. Yes, risk is a life force, but to take it, one needs courage, which is one of the major principles of this podcast. Now, now on its own, courage can't be taught, but it can be learned. Let me explain how. Let's set the pertinent example machine way, way back to 1960 when African-American civil rights activists were being taught how to protest. Specifically, they were being taught how not to react to abuse from police and the public as they planned the Woolworth restaurant counter anti-segregation sit-ins in Greensboro, North Carolina. You can Google it for deeper details. Worth the time. They knew that the key to the sit-in was nonviolence, but also knew it takes a tough inner fiber neither to flinch nor retaliate if, or more likely when, hooligans picked on the protesters to intimidate them or provoke them into some violent act. I can still recall the seminal photo shoot from Life magazine at the time when David Gunter, an NAACP student advisor, and Leroy Hill, a high school teacher, prepared protesters with a course they called social drama. In this course, social drama, students were subjected to a full repertory of humiliation and minor abuse. These included smoke blowing, hair pulling, chair jostling, coffee spilling, being hit with wadded newspaper, along with loads of raging insults. If you stay calm, you passed. Anyone who got mad flunked. They may have been taught social drama, but the students learned courage. 
The Heath brothers second that emotion in the aforementioned Power of Moments book, where they state that the key to learning courage is interactivity. Their telltale example is about programs designed for drug abuse resistance. The ones that didn't work preached and taught traditionally, like a school. The ones that did work employed interactive methods. To quote the brothers, To resist drugs, students need the opportunity to practice courage. The hard part isn't knowing what to do. The hard part is doing it. There will come a time at a party when a 16-year-old is offered alcohol or marijuana. If they haven't rehearsed what they'll do or say in that moment, they're likely to feel their resolve crumble. In short, courage is contagious. It's hard to be courageous, but it's easier when you've practiced. So with that perspective and with a little preparation, taking a risk should be more liberating than it is debilitating. But still, that's easier said than done. Here's perhaps the ultimate way then to start liberating. It's something I like to call the worst case scenario syndrome. Put simply, you dig deep and think of the ultimate disaster to any one decision you have to make. Be ruthless in your worst case thinking. Bankruptcy, losing your job, being laughed at, total outright rejection, a trip to the emergency ward, death. I can keep going, but I, I, I think you get the point. Worst case scenarios control you, not vice versa. So whatever yours may be in the situation at hand, if you can live with the worst case scenario, then move forward. If not, then move along. Here's my favorite example. It involves another business book author. My Lord, there's lots of authors in this episode, right? He's a military friend of mine named Dan Ward. A few years ago, he reached out to me in an email for some advice. Here's an edited transcript of our back and forth. Dan. Hey, Andy. I'm looking for some cool ways to spread the word about my latest book, The Simplicity Cycle. I know, that's what everyone is looking for. But I was wondering if you have any ideas or suggestions, particularly of the surprising variety. I'm already blogging about it, giving away the PDF version for free, pursuing some trade publications, but I suspect that's all the obvious stuff, and I was hoping you might have a thought or idea for me. Me. Hey Dan, how many hard copies do you have on hand? Well, take as many as you can spare and put a sticker on them saying something like, here's a simple offer. Take this book home. It's free. All I ask in return is that you talk about it. Then leave these books in the business sections of big bookstores. It's kind of like reverse shoplifting. You're sneaking books into stores and leaving them there for the taking. This will create buzz, perhaps even scandal. But let me tell you, it'll spread the word. Dan. But what if people get caught? me what if what if people get caught my lord that's exactly what you want that's why you're doing this the worst case scenario is your best case scenario okay well that's an extreme case but what i tell people who still fear their worst case scenario is that they've already lived through it Yep, I know it's still hanging around, but if you're listening to this now, you've lived through a global worst-case scenario, namely COVID-19. Just think about it. If five years ago I would have told you that the world, the world, the world would be affected by an airborne virus that would kill close to 7 million people, keep hundreds of millions more under lock and key curfew, shut down international air travel, close schools and businesses, empty downtowns everywhere, drop the curtain on Broadway, all this, 
you would shudder and ask what insane disaster film I was writing. But I'm only writing an insane podcast script and one at the other end of this worst case scenario. So as I am off to say, if you live through COVID-19, you can live through anything. And now you've lived through this episode of the CC&G podcast. Congrats. Quite the reward for risking a few minutes in my company, he says quite modestly. And although it pains me to do so, I'm going to leave the last word on risk to the former head of marketing for Crocs. Yeah, those wacky plastic shoe-like things. I didn't like this guy much, but he said something that has stuck with me to this day. Well, obviously, because <laughs> I'm talking about him right now. I was at the Crocs head office in Boulder, Colorado on a consulting mission, and it was presenting to a team of about a dozen people. Every idea I put forth was met with an apprehensive, chin-rubbing murmur of, hmm, that's going to cause a backlash. After about 10 ideas being poo-pooed this way, the marketing guy exploded. Stop worrying about backlash, he roared. If we get backlash, at least that means we had a front lash. Ouch. Anyway, before I go, if you've dug what you've heard, or if you hated it, let me know at Label Sessions on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or LinkedIn. And although I know I shouldn't, I will read every comment and promise to respond to those without spelling, grammar, punctuation, or other such nagging errors. So until next time, CCNGU later! This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentorship, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team.